So Leon Saunders Calvert, um, I work for London Stock Exchange Group. Um, I run a business there called the Research and Portfolio Management Business, um, which services the institutional um, investment community with, with data and products. Uh, I, I, it's part of a company called Refinitiv, which was acquired recently by London Stock Exchange Group. And at Refinitiv, well, I run a number of businesses, but most recently, prior to the merger, I ran the sustainable finance business, which of course included um, the provision of ESG data to, to the institutional finance community. Um, uh, just a quick word, um, Luis, I thought that was excellent, by the way. I thought it was really, really interesting. I completely agree that perfect is the enemy of good. Uh, I would suggest that data never, ever tells you the answer. Um, you have to have hypotheses, which you use data to test and validate and corroborate or not. Um, and of course, you have to know the limitations of that data in order to, to make um, appropriate judgments on that. But um, but you can always start somewhere. So I thought it was really interesting. So I'm going to focus... Um, Slightly differently. Primarily, I'm going to focus on on climate um, uh, analytics and the kind of component pieces that are developing in that space, and and I think what's needed. I think the first thing I'll say is that ESG data today is really uh, needed in the corporate world across three areas, but it's only reasonably mature in one of those, and in the other two, it's very, very immature. Um, the area where it's most mature is around what I would describe as company operations. And the reason it's most mature around company operations is because that most ESG data is based today on the premise of the kind of information that companies themselves disclose. I don't mean to imply that you can't get ESG data, which is above and beyond that. You, of course, can. But it's it still seems to be based on the premise of what can be disclosed. Levels of diversity inclusion, proportionate women on the board, uh, scope one and scope two emissions, uh, resource usage, that kind of thing. Um, critical to understanding the sustainability or the ESG footprint as a whole of a company, um, of course, though, is its products and services. You can be an incredibly strong coal company in terms of your diversity inclusion practices and your efficiency of, of extracting coal from the ground and so on and so forth. But the problem is the fact that you are delivering coal. That's the problem for energy production. That's the issue, right? And if you take an exact opposite example, you might say that Tesla has lots and lots of problems with its company operations from an ESG perspective, but it does have 100% of its vehicles are electric vehicles, right? So products and services is a major missing component piece today in terms of robustness of data um, uh, from from the equation um, from most ESG data providers. Um, And the third piece is even harder and is something which I suspect that more of you are expert on than, than I am, but which is supply chain data. Um, and the realistic scenario in the near future is that supply chain data is not going to be good enough um, in order to arrive at really decent conclusions around that data as it pertains to the ESG footprint of a company. But it doesn't mean you can't work with analytics and assumptions um, associated with supply chain of companies using things like input and output models and that kind of thing, which is, I think, what we're probably relegated to in the near future, at least. There are two types of climate risk. Um, fundamentally. There are more, but they all essentially are deferential to two types, one of which is transition risk, which is the transition to a low carbon economy, the the process of decarbonizing the economy. The other is physical risk, which is the physical risk exposures as a result of climate change, changing in uh, a changing climate and the changing environment associated with that. I often talk about the sanctimoniousness of ESG. It's very easy to be sanctimonious. It's much harder to to necessarily actually do the right thing. Um, It's easy to look from a transition risk perspective at what are the most carbon intensive companies, which is really easy because they're just all all in the most carbon intensive industries today. And you can exclude yourself from all of those as an investor, for instance. You can just say, well, I'm not going to take part in that. Then I, I I won't invest in those. Typically, that does has a minor contribution, it's not zero, but it has a minor contribution to actually helping decarbonize the economy. 
um, the contribution is relatively small. Um, it raises the cost of capital, I guess, to companies in that space. Um, really understanding what the opportunity to decarbonize is based on the technology that exists today. Um, how ambitious can a company be in a given sector? It is easier to decarbonize the automobile sector than it is to decarbonize the aeroplane sector, as an example, right? Doesn't mean it's impossible, doesn't mean we shouldn't be ambitious, but having clarity on the trajectory of what is possible in different sectors is quite important in order to be able to help companies to account to what they can realistically do and indeed what they should be driving and be at the vanguard of. And that requires more than just data, that requires analytics, it requires methodology, it requires uh, assumptions and it requires hypotheses. Um, and uh, alignment to the, to the Paris Accords is a non-trivial thing to arrive at when you're looking at a portfolio or a lending book or, or indeed an individual security because you have to take into account those, those sector and those regional dynamics. When you think about physical risk, um, one of the big challenges associated with physical risk, and I bet Luis has got a sense of this um, from all the work that he showed us earlier, one of the big challenges is the big data challenge, is you've got to connect. In, in order to identify companies um, and their uh, exposure to physical risk, you've got to connect their assets, the assets that they own, to the locations of those assets, to the physical risk exposures at every single one of those locations. And you need to also understand the materiality of each of those assets to the company. Um, uh, one location might be very well, uh, very much worse exposed than another location um, in that given company. But if it contributes a very minor proportion of the company's output, then maybe it doesn't matter so much, right? Um, and so uh, there's a real big data challenge there, of which is very, very hard to work with until you've done all that data stitching, um, on top of which, of course, then you can, then you can um, uh, provide analytics. Uh, all of this is, of course, I, I mentioned the importance of the supply chain. And the supply chain is, is critical if you really want to understand both the decarbonisation opportunities and the, and the ambitions that a company ought to have, as well as its physical risk exposures. You may indeed, as a company, not have very little physical risk exposure, but you may have a lot of physical risk exposure in your supply chain. Um, and that is equally, if not more, problematic. And so identifying that becomes very, very challenging. Um, and I think that analytics and hypothesis are necessary to do so. And finally, as a provocation, um, as, I, as I felt I ought to based on my conversation with Millie, um, I, I think that going back to my point about the, the dangers of the sanctimoniousness of ESG, there's been a lesson that I think that we've learned, or at least some people have learned the, long, the, the wrong lesson of the last 18 months with the, with the terrible challenges of COVID-19 and everything we've lived through. Some people seem to have learned the lesson that COVID-19 demonstrates that we can decarbonise because carbon emissions were cut um, in a very, very slight way um, during the lockdown um, of the first year of, of uh, the, the pandemic. They were cut by about 5%, as far as we can tell. That's the best estimate that we have, around 5% carbon emission reduction globally. Uh, the Paris Accords require 7% year-on-year, annually, on a cumulative basis for the next 10 years. So doing less and degrowth of the economy is not the answer. Um, the answer actually has to be something very different to that. It has to be something like an equivalent of the Apollo space program with mass mobilization of capital towards new R&D, science and innovation towards decarbonization capabilities. Um, and indeed, there are definitely ways in which we can hold companies to account. But they require the kinds of analytics that I've hinted at in this in this sort of in my opening remarks. Um, and they require a removal of this sort of easy um, sanctimoniousness of, well, that's a carbon intensive company. Let's not um, invest in that then. All right, let me leave it at that for the time being.